Welcome to the Silver Lining Podcast, where we ask academics how East Asian states view themselves and how they relate to each other in the wake of the COVID pandemic. In today's episode, we chat with Victoria Liu, a PhD student on the History East Asia track with a focus on Tibetan and Chinese visual culture at Columbia University, about how portrait photography can better help us understand Tibetan identity. So could you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your academic career thus far? Um, so I actually studied art history um, during undergrad at Barnard, and um, I wasn't necessarily studying Tibet-related materials. It was, you know, a lot of Japanese art, Chinese art, and some uh, contemporary Tibetan art. Um, but because I took some courseworks on Tibet and I learned um, Tibetan language, so um, I decided to do Tibetan studies with a focus on uh, specifically art and visual culture. So during my AMA, um, my thesis was on portraiture of Tibet under the influence of photographic technology. And my current current um, PhD project at Columbia uh, will be an extension from the previous topic. And um, it will still be on photography, but I want to expand it more uh, from the perspective of visual culture and media. Got it. Well, I remember one of the things that you mentioned in your research is that the history of photography in Tibet in particular is still very much at a stage of infancy. Are there any major challenges you face when doing that kind of research? Um, There are um, studies on images related to Tibet, but mainly um, they would be more history oriented or art history oriented. So if we'd say we study photography of Tibet, um, there are different um, sections of it. So there would be, let's say early British photography of Tibet, there's Chinese photography of Tibet. So they're quite separated in their discipline and um, there are not a lot of scholars that does that. And um, so let alone to say to have a comprehensive take on the visual culture of Tibet um, of early 20th century. Okay, got it. And what would you say interests you about photography and portrait photography in particular? So like I said, initially I was more interested in religious art and contemporary art, and especially the use of religious vocabulary in contemporary works of Tibetan artists. Um, A lot of them use Buddhist visual languages. um, They incorporated uh, Tibetan uh, letters in their contemporary works. And so in these works, including traditional works that have a more contemporary or modern take on them, I noticed there's this hybridity in what we would think of as a Tibetanness in artworks or whether there um, exists a Tibetan identity in these works, what constitutes as Tibetan art. And while I was trying to contemplate on these concepts, I turned to photography because um, there's this really because of the medium specificity of photography really, and because of uh, photography and both photography and film. And so I was studying mainly, I was mainly interested in portraiture because portraiture is the key confrontation that you would have uh, in photography. And it's really about representation from the self and the other. And the process of making portraiture also have a long history in Tibetan um, tradition. So in religious um, traditions, we also have religious portraiture. That is a very crucial part of Tibetan Buddhism. And um, in recent years, um, there are a lot of different 
um, there are a lot of different uh, interpretations of religious portraitures. And some of them are Tanka paintings, which are traditional Tibetan scroll paintings. And in order to pay homage to uh, Buddhist masters and uh, religious figures, they also use a lot of photography today. So photography is a very um, key concept, I think, um, that goes throughout Tibetan uh, visual culture. Right, so when it comes to photography, you say that although photography might seem like an objective field, that the, that the photographer actually has the ability to control, manipulate, and even produce perceptions beyond what our eyes can perceive. How do photographers achieve this? What are some of the techniques that they can use to manipulate that vision? I think this is also very related to who are taking photos of Tibet um, during certain time periods. And a lot of them, early people who had owned photo, photo uh, I mean, cameras, they, um, they, are, uh, they would be foreign um, travelers um, who went to Tibet. And I wouldn't say they are photographers um, at the time at, that they would frame themselves as photographers. They would have their own uh, ethnography projects or uh, political expeditions. And uh, while they take photos, um, it's, it's common to have posed portraiture. They would be of family portraiture or um, portraiture that uh, want to convey a stronger sense of a textile tradition, costumes, religious tradition. So it's quite common that there would be a posing process um, in between. So it's almost impossible to have a fully objective way of taking photographs. Got it. And the art of photography actually you state grew kind of alongside these themes of aesthetic modernity and also a thirst for knowledge that radiated from urban centers in China. Could you expand more on this concept? So mm, photographers from China who had taken photos of Tibet, this is quite a less studied topic, I think in Western scholarship, uh, mainly because um, these uh, photographers were, some of them were uh, propaganda journalists from China. So their works might not be deemed as worthy um, of investigation. However, um, I would say that, um, for example, early Republican um, photographers such as Zhuang Xuebun, they had very complex motivations, as I would say. And um, apart from the political agenda they were assigned to, they also had their own aesthetic aspirations and their own passion for, for, for photography. And them as early camera owners at the time had this in intellectual aspiration um, to accumulate knowledge and to um, form a sense of nationhood and to really contemplate on what nationhood meant at that period of uncertainty. Well, that's a great segue into my next question because one of the things that you really research is the difference between Chinese and Tibetan photography of Tibet and Tibetans. What were the main differences between the two? I wouldn't say I was mainly look at, looking at the differences, but what um, got me into looking at Tibetan photography by Tibetan photographers was that I was looking at early publications uh, of China. Um, they are mainly official albums, photo albums, that covers different minority regions. And they would uh, record, uh, they record a lot of historical events. 
And I, while I was looking at the images that are included in those official narratives, I noticed there is a lack of a portrait representation of people. This might not be unique just to Tibet, but just because there are um, publications more for uh, political agendas. However, um, I was just curious to see whether um, there were camera owners in Tibet. And um, so after research, I did find out that uh, early aristocrat families and monks, they had cameras and they had frequently uh, taking photos of their family members and friends. And there is this um, vernacular culture of taking photographs, at least you know, as a hobby, I think, although it's among a very uh, small group of people. But I, these images have been preserved until today. And they do have um, a lot of influence on Tibetans today, I think, because there were there are the images that they, people would refer to for models and prototypes for Tibetan fashion, history, just how people looked like back then. Got it. So one of the things that you connect that idea to is that Tibetans were able to gain agency in their search of a Tibetan identity through the use of photography. Would you say that this is reflective of what was happening more broadly in Tibetan society? Were there other examples where this was happening? I think, so about agency, I think this is mainly about um, contemporary artists today who are using photographic technology to contemplate on identity issues, identity formation, and to contemplate really on what it means to be Tibetan in this global culture today. And this would be very different from you know, early photographers of Tibet. And I think for photographers and many contemporary artists of Tibet today, um, they have been using this technology to play with the multiple identities they each have. So for example, uh, Gunkar Gyatso was one of the artists that I talked about um, in my work who um, was born in Tibet and has left uh, for India at first. Um, he, he was a Tonka paint. He learned Tonka techniques in India, but noticed that his contemporary approach to art might not be received um, as well as he imagined. So he actually went to Brit Britain and studied co more contemporary art. And now he works uh, and does more artworks in China. So this, these are examples of the fluidity of one's identity and really the mobility of Tibetans in the world today. Got it. Well, I wanted to ask a bit more about China, actually, just in case our um, listeners aren't as familiar about what that history between China and Tibet is like. Can you perhaps touch on that and also give some examples of the political and historical motivations of some of these Chinese photographers who are capturing Tibet and Tibetans during the 20th century? Um, so there hasn't been a full written history of you know, when um, the first Chinese photographer went to Tibet and take photos, but there has been many um, photographers from all over the world really who went to uh, Tibet to take photographs. So apart from British photography, there were also Japanese photographers. And Zhang Xuben, who I was talking about actually um, was one of the earliest Republican period uh, photographer from China who went to Tibet and take photos. But, um, but most of his photographs, and it has been said that he has never reached Tibet as Tibetan autonomous region. He mainly took photographs of different minority groups 
um, outside of TAR's autonomous region. And for other photographers, they were uh, partly uh, related to the PLA army and they would be one of the ones who had the camera who went in with the army. And there are also other early journalists um, who were working uh, in Tibet uh, from inland China. Okay, got it. So I just have one final question on that topic to wrap everything up. Um, how does your research inform your understanding of what it means to be Tibetan in the 21st century? I think the way I want to position my study mainly is to not only study photography, but really study image making as an apparatus, as a social process, and to see what, what were, how, how did they get the equipment really? And what was the technology history within Tibet? Because it's, I, I find this contextual research very important because just by looking at the image, they have been taught, um, these images have been talked about in visual anthropology, in history, but I think just by looking at the images themselves is really not sufficient to, because there are many ways to read images. And I myself find this impasse when I read these images is that I want to know what happened when the images are taken and what were the reactions by people. And a lot of these photographers actually had really detailed diaries and notes about what were, what were they thinking while they, while they were taking pictures and the responses he had with the local people. So I think these stories and histories really complicate what images represent and in contrast with what they mean in social media today. And I think this contrast really complicates what it means to be Tibetan today. And a lot of um, contemporary artists are using these historical images in their own works to complicate what it means to Tibetan because there are many, the population of Tibetans, you know, they are all over the world. But I think through complication, we can have a sort of segue into what could it mean to be Tibetan today. Mm -hmm. And is social media something that you look at in your research? So I'm still at a, because um, I, I do want to be very comparative in my research, just because um, I think it helps me understand a lot of issues about, for example, self and other, um, orientalism, internal orientalism, majority versus minority. So I think this is a crucial part um, for understanding uh, issues today. And um, I do want to look more into, you know, representation of, for example, Tibetans in social media um, all around the world, really. And because mm -hmm. of media and internet, we don't have this um, political boundary or territorial boundaries. Mm -hmm. That actually reminds me of something in your paper where you mentioned that some Tibetans could perhaps be performing their identity that's not necessarily maybe sincere or true to what their identity was actually. Could you expand on that idea? I, I think Tibet as a region is one, one of the many regions where we see a clash of tradition and modernity, where there um, different ideologies are negotiated and there are continuing um, conversations about uh, what it means to be Tibetan, what is Tibetan culture. So. So while people are contemplating on these concepts, 
it's uh, it's very common for people to look back into history of what was being represented. And for Tibetans today, you know, they're very keen on learning about culture um, and history that might not have been taught at school. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I feel like that concept could be applied to identity in general and for other mm -hmm. kind of countries as well. So when you say that you're trying to be more comparative in your research, does that mean that you're looking at other regions as well or still mainly focusing on Tibet? I look at other regions, but mainly to compare with Tibet. For example, um, I wanted to compare Zhongshibun's work, um, his photographs with Edward Curtis, uh, who took photographs of uh, Native Americans. So, um, but I definitely want to contrast them because I do think Zhongshibun's photography can be interpreted in ways other than visual anthropology. So, so in order, so um, through, com through comparison, I think it'll be easier for people who are not specializing in Tibet to understand these photographs. Got it, got it. And what does your research look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Has it been affected by the pandemic at all? Yes, um, I was mainly back in China, so it was difficult to research offline. And um, our librarian has been really helpful at Columbia. So we, I was still able to source a lot of books. And, but it's, you know, taking online classes at the middle of night has been um, really messing up with my schedule, I would say. You've just been listening to the Silver Lining Podcast with Yanhua Chen, Jiyun Moon, and Jazing Chagar. This podcast is a project from the Columbia Global Collaboratory, which seeks to tackle global challenges through cross-cultural collaboration. Thanks to our guest speaker this week, Victoria Liu, and thanks to you for tuning in.